Thank you, Father. There we go. Thank you, Father. Glorify you, God. We magnify you. We worship you today, God. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Because without Jesus, we can do nothing. We thank you. Is anybody grateful for Jesus today? just wanted to fit this in because we kind of, well, you'll understand. Um, this morning I had gone out to, to feed our horse and she's out there. She's getting to be an old girl and, and she don't like me very well, even though I feed her every day, twice a day. But, uh, and I don't understand that. I mean, I mean, what's not to like here, you know? <laughs> but I went out to feed her this morning. It's just a little, it's just a touch chilly in the air, right? And, and I'm thinking, you know, we're, we're in this season, we're coming into this fall season. And I think, I think today is the first day of fall. And uh, as we're coming into this fall season, I thought about how the, the fall feasts that, that are the Lord's in Leviticus chapter 23 are beginning to happen. And we're kind of missing them this year because I haven't taught on it. We've got so many things on the calendar that I just really didn't position our, teachings around the, the feast of the Lord. The thing about it is, 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 um, we're, we're coming into this place and tonight at, at dusk at sundown starts the, the day of atonement. And the day of atonement was one of the most serious holy days. It was the, the day that the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and take the sacrifice is the only day that anyone was allowed into the inner chamber of the temple. And that you had to be that, that priest, that high priest had to be perfect. I mean, he had to be bathed. He had to be in the right clothes. He had to be all these things to step in. And we are in that season of being in God's presence. I believe that the fall feasts are all of God's feasts are a time that God is reaching down to earth. And if we're reaching up, we're just right there at that veil. I believe that we can touch the fingertips of God in this time. If you have any need any of any sort, this would be the time to begin to reach up to God. Amen? But as I was thinking about that, God doesn't act, God doesn't move in time, in, in chronos time, in, 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 in our earthly time. He don't move in that. He respects that's where we live, but that's not what drives Him. What drives Him is eternity. Eternal time. It's, it, 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 it has no borders or barriers, but his feasts operate in the eternity, in the eternal. And so we're gonna, we're gonna, even if you don't celebrate them here or observe them here, we will when we get to heaven. Amen. We will. So we better learn about it now. But the thing about it is, is, is I feel like that these last 10 days have been what is called the days of awe. It's the days of, of recognizing His awesomeness. And He is so, so, so awesome. We can't even contain His awesomeness. But the thing about it is, is, is we've got this, we're in this place. And my wife said it best this morning. She said, she said, I feel a conviction during this time. See, when we're, when we're in this place of repentance, repentance is being driven by, uh, by conviction. It's not driven by condemnation. God does not condemn us. And His seasons and His times, especially now, is not driven 
by condemnation. It's driven by conviction because conviction always points to righteousness where condemnation always points to guilt and shame. And so we're, we're in this place of conviction. And I don't know about you, but I have felt it. I have every day this last week, I've just felt this, this drawing into his presence. I, I felt this drawing into changing some things about my life. We can all change some things about our life and put a, put a, position ourselves in him more. But I just, I wanted to encourage you that if you're feeling that, if you're feeling like, you know, I, I've, I've made a decision this week to, to do something that really wasn't, it just didn't feel right to me. That's the condemnation, I mean, the, uh, the conviction that God is trying to draw you toward. He's trying to draw you into this, this reality of, I'm not the best person in the world, but with God I am. And so we're moving into that righteous place. We're moving into that place. So I, I encourage you that as we step into this next 24 hours, understand that God is not trying to oppress you. He's trying to bring you up. He's trying to break you. And if we'll be humble, if we'll be humble enough to just step into that humility and ask God to help us with our humanity, then what we do is we take a step up. See, humility is taking a step down, which is really a step up in Him. Amen? Amen? All right. I don't know about you, but I, I, I found something in that this morning. That just all came from feeding my horse in the cold, you know. <laughs> let's, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I praise you today. I thank you that we're living in this time and in this season. And God, as we're living in this season, I thank you for the shift that happens in us. I thank you for that shift when we, when we are repentant, as we turn away from what we want to do and turn to what you want us to do. Father, I thank you that when we do that and we turn to you, that God, you, you raise us into our purpose, into our destiny. You raise us into the place where you have called us to be that picture of who you've, you've seen us as. So God, once again, I thank you for your son, Jesus, that makes it all possible to, to be in your presence. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that is here among us. God, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, just do what you do. Holy fire of God, come and just do what you do in this place today. Thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. We magnify you and give you all glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would turn around and tell somebody hello, I'm going to invite my boy up here. How's everybody this morning? Well, this is a little different. Just touch. Just touch different. <laughs> well, the, the first thing I wanted to do this morning is I, I uh, received a gift for Father's Day this year. And such a, such a cool gift because it's, it's truth. I, I like to have truth in my life, you know. And so I, I, told, I told the person who gave me this gift at Father's Day, that I was going to wear it sometime when I ministered. So this, I thought this would be a good time to do that. So I've got a, 
And people are saying, oh, no. So my favorite child is my daughter-in-law. So I thought it was appropriate. And What's sad is that it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dad would trade me for Lacey just about any day of the week. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, see, see, I got a good deal. Reuben and Kathy, I don't know about them. Uh, I feel like I scored on this deal. I hope that they think so, they got a good deal. <laughs> anyways. So, anyways, today... We are wrapping up our, our series on arrows. And man, what a, what a cool idea. What a cool concept. Hey, thanks. And, uh, uh, I mean, I have always thought about you as, as an arrow mm. and you and Riata as arrows, but, uh, um, man, the, the, what your brainchild of bringing this to us and, and, uh, wanting to share what you see with the church has been phenomenal. Well, and I appreciate you letting me be a part of it. Well, thank you for letting me do it. I was going to tell you that it's an honor and it's a privilege to be able to be on the pulpit that you've built and for you to uh, take the leash off of me. Not that I've ever had a leash or anything, but <laughs> yeah, you have, <laughs> <laughs> but no championing uh, the vision that I had and championing the idea that I brought to you and helping me cultivate it. And it wasn't as simple as just coming to dad and saying, Hey, I have an idea. Um, can I do it? It was more of a, Hey, I have an idea. Will you help me build off of it to be something that's meaningful? <coughs> and throughout the, uh, process of building this series, dad has been alongside every single step before the first even the first time that we talked about it, like in depth, we talked, gosh, for a few days in your office about what I, what I wanted to do, what the vision was for it. And you kind of helped me from that moment, kind of build it from there. And then yeah. getting to sit and work with you in that has been, I get to work alongside you every day, but getting to work with you and see how your brain works and see how kind of a scary thing to be inside of my dad's brain, but I, I love it. And I couldn't, I couldn't be more happy and more honored to be able to do this with you. So thank you. Absolutely. I'm proud of you. I really am. Thank you. you. Um, <clears throat> I never have tried to push my kids into what I do and what God has called me and my wife to. I've never tried to to say that that's what they're going to do. I've always let them kind of just sit, and Lynette and I both just kind of let them sit and figure life out, figure where they're at out. And I am, it, it is cool to have you have you here. I hope that that my ceiling is your floor, is what we'd like to say. Mm. And so, yeah, yes, with that, we better we better get into this today. Yeah, I got a question real quick. Okay. Uh, you don't normally wear shoes like this. So I, I want to know who, who convinced you to buy these and uh, what are they? I, like, like the runway question, what are you wearing? Who are you wearing? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wearing Nike, uh, SB Dunk. The, Heck yeah, you yeah, got it. SB Dunk. Okay, this is what happens when Lynette goes out of town and I go to dinner with him and Lacey. This happens, and and so one of my 
One of my favorite actors in the world is, is Steve McQueen. I love Steve McQueen. My dad kind of put, that's kind of a thing that my dad put on the inside of me. Um, but there was, he made a movie called Le Mans. And uh, Le Mans was about the 24-hour race at Le Mans. And uh, he drove a car, the, uh, a race car that was sponsored by Gulf. I don't know if you all remember the old Gulf stations. You know, it may date you a little bit. But it's, these are called uh, Gulfs. So you, you pointed that out to me since I'm such a McQueen fan. Yeah. And so, anyways, these are kind of colored off of the car that he drove in Le Mans. So, anyways. Really. I just had to get that out there because uh, it seems, it's funny because whenever I start talking about shoes or anybody, just about anybody that I come in contact with, I got Josh into them. I got my mother-in-law into them. I got my wife into them. I got my mom into them. And now I'm getting my dad into them. And it's it, it's cool. I enjoy it. I like being a, I don't know if it's a good or a bad influence, but I like being an influence. Well, <laughs> that, that whole too much month at the end of your money type of deal. Um, you know, it's possible to have that if I listen to you. Because uh, you do. Hey, it's, I experience it sometimes too. <laughs> uh, anyways, I, th- I thought they were cool and, and so... This is what happens. I told Lynette when she got home from her trip that time, when I bought these, I said, I did a thing. <laughs> and so, anyways, she, she always likes a good shopping store anyway, so it's all right. It's all right. She, didn't, she didn't hurt me. So There we go. All right. Let's get into this. Yeah. Uh, really quick before we continue on, uh, if you, Brad, do you have that phone number slide? There we go. If you guys have any questions that come up during the this message that dad and i are doing together or i don't know q and a q what did you call it a q and i mom called it a q and i yeah questions and insight because i don't know if we got answers but we got insight yeah. uh but if you have any questions that come up during this maybe dad and i say something or you want us to expand on something a little bit or whatever can't promise you that we'll get you the answers, but we'll give you some insight. Don't know if it'll be good or not, but that's the number that you can text 970-909-0752. So if you guys have any questions that come up during this, feel free to text in. So, and our MC for the day. Master of ceremonies, (laughs) masteress of ceremonies is Lynette Gleghorn. Give her a hand clap. So she's, she's going to be asking us the questions that have already come in. All right. So our first question is directed toward Darren, and it actually has something to do with what you taught uh, on the second week. And uh, you had mentioned that David couldn't build the temple because of the blood that was on his hands, but Solomon could, even though he had many wives. So the question was why? Man, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a good question. The thing about it is, 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 uh, the, the, I think the Bible says that he had 300 wives and con- concubines or something like that. He had a bunch of ladies around him. He's quite the ladies man, you know, and, and, uh, anyways, it really, he was commissioned by God before he was even, uh, in the position of being a king. So, um, you know, even though he had a, he had a bunch of wives, uh, he had amassed, God had told, uh, him not to amass wives or horses. 
and and he had many of both. And so that that kind of in his later days it kind of steered him away from uh from being such a godly man. He was a very godly man when he took over. But he, in his later life, that's why when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, y'all heard of that book? When you read that book, there's a lot of times that he says vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. And he just kind of had a bad attitude as he got older because he did not obey God the way that he was supposed to obey God. Didn't mean he went to hell when he died. It just means that that he uh, amassed things and disobeyed what God wanted him to. But the temple was built before that. And he was commissioned to build the temple by God, by his dad, uh, David, King David. And and he built the he built the temple when he was good with God. So it really, even though God knew what his future would be like, he really didn't, uh, uh, God didn't hold him back from building his house because man, if, if, if what we're doing for God rested totally upon our behavior at times, then none of us would do what God wanted us to do. None of us would complete what God wanted us to complete. So, and he knows he chose, he chose us before the beginning of time, he knows what, when we're going to mess up, but he knows when we're going to come back to him as well. So, um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but I I believe that that's why he was able to do that. That actually kind of leads into another question that came in was, uh, being Solomon as an adult, but, uh, there is a question on insight that you might have on how to guide an adult child, um, to God's grace and their God's peace. Um, you know, I think that after, and after a child becomes an adult, that our position changes with them. It's not really that we walk as an authority over them, but it's a, that it's walking with them to help them step into their authority as, as grownups, as, as parents, as, um, you know, adults. And, um, I was thinking about that question in the sense that, um, It's never, it is never, men, let me tell you this, especially you men, it is never too late to tell your kid, I'm sorry, to apologize to them for the times you messed up, for the times that, that you led them in the wrong direction because of your actions. I, I, that is something that I said, I'm not bragging on myself, but that's something that I said in the beginning, uh, when I had kids is when they were real little, there were times that I, was uh, authoritative in helping them become who they are, but there were times that in my authority that I oppressed them, that I got angry with them, that I said wrong things, that I did wrong things toward them. And when I did that, I made it a a thing that whenever I'm wrong, I'm going to admit that I'm wrong. And I'm not just going to admit it to God and ask God to forgive me. I'm going to admit it to my child. I'm going to go to my child. I can't tell you how many times I sat down and looked Rhett in the face and said, Son, I was wrong and I am sorry. And I ask you to forgive me. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that for adult children, uh, the, it, there's nothing wrong with you saying, Hey, man, I screwed up. I, I messed up. And I'm, I want you, I want to ask for your forgiveness. Rhett, can you share a little bit about your experience as far as, uh, maybe having some friends from your perspective and your age on 
being an adult, but yet having a parent and uh, your reception to guidance from a parent or your perception of having a parent ask for forgiveness? Well, I think that, I guess from my point of view, the aspect of um, being receptive to that guidance, being receptive to what my mom and dad say, I might be grown, I might be 22 years old, but my mom and dad have walked a whole heck of a lot more life than I have. And it's still my job. The Bible doesn't say honor your father and mother until you turn 18 years old. It says honor your father and mother. And it doesn't give a, a time to stop honoring your father and your mother. So in my mind, it is my responsibility for the rest of my life, for the rest of the time that God has me on this earth, that I honor both you and dad. And to me, part of that honor is taking what you guys say, taking the advice that y'all give me and actually applying it, not just letting it go in one ear out the other and saying, okay, I'm grown. I know better. I can do it my own way. My own way might work eventually, but you guys got a whole heck of a lot better advice for me than my own self. Um, can you restate the second part of that question? <laughs> I got a timer in my brain, and as soon as it runs out, I forget everything else. <laughs> From your perspective, being an adult uh, and having parents, what, how can a parent encourage, what, how would you encourage parents to encourage their adult children from your perspective? Man, I'd, I'd say that the best way to do that is my, my mom and dad, as soon as I turned 18, or not as soon as I turned 18, I'd say that probably as they, as they kind of saw that I was coming into the age of being a young man, being an independent young man, uh, they didn't try to parent me. They didn't try to act like that authority figure because, I mean, I was, by worldly standards, I was an adult. I was 18 years old, 19 years old, but mom and dad still gave me guidance from a friend's point of view. And that's the thing is that once from my, from my perspective and don't come at me if I'm wrong in this or if you have a different perspective, once your child turns 18 and they move out of your house, your rules still apply to them, but not near as strict as they did while they were under your roof. So coming at it and giving them advice from the perspective of a friend in a confidant and somebody who wants to see them succeed. That's the best way that I feel. That's, that's the best way to come at it from my point of view is because my mom and dad never said, this is what you need to do and you better do it or else you're going to get a whooping at 19 years old. They came at it from a place of this is what I think you should do. Take it or leave it. And they left it at that. It was never a, uh, you better do this or else you're going to, get struck by lightning, you know, kind of deal. So here's a really good question that just came in from one of our, uh, in-house or online. It says, Rhett, can you talk on the importance you found of having people around you to walk this life out being sent as an arrow? For example, when major life events happened, like your dad's diagnosis and preparation of marriage, the importance of the people around you. Yeah, I'd say that that's probably, that's the biggest thing is that my mom and dad made sure that I had good influences around me. And I, I, uh, 
I'd say that the importance of having a good good influences around you or having people to build you up in times where life just really sucks, um, that's super, super important. I remember whenever dad got his diagnosis, I want to say that Josh came and picked uh, Riata and I up. And I mean, we just we just went and hung out. I think, dude, I think he took us ice skating and took us to ice cream or something like it was as simple as that. And just telling us, I remember him telling us, he said, wow, uh, he said, if there's anything that you need, just we're literally next door. Just give me a call and I'll be here. Um, same thing with me and Lacey getting married. I remember we went to breakfast one morning and Josh told me, he said, man, marriage is hard. Marriage is something that you need to work at every day. And if there's anything that I can help you with to help that walk be a little bit easier, let me know. And I had multiple people around me telling me that. And I think that that is one of the most important things is to always have good people around you, to build you up constantly, to give you advice, to help you with that. And I've had you and dad around me for my entire life to help build me up and to help me make those decisions that may be a little bit tough. So I'm really thankful for the influences that you guys help surround me with and what you guys have helped uh, build me up with. So Very good. This one is switching gears just a little bit. Uh, it says September 17th was the first time that this individual has been in church in over 20 years. Uh, can we just have a, a celebration for that? Yeah. And uh, their question is that they were a combat veteran. And during uh, the follow-up of that and during that time, they said that they lost their religion with everything that they saw and did. And events in life have recently led them back to church, but they still feel a bit odd after being out for so long. Do you guys have any advice for somebody that is coming back to church or for this particular individual? Well, first and foremost, you served our country. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Um, in that, you know, when you make the decision, when a person makes the decision to serve our country in, in military, in the military, or uh, there's other venues as well, but in that particular one, there is a thing that enters in called honor. And we have to honor the authority that's around us. So um, looking at the things that you did or the things that you had to do in that, uh, in that position that you signed up for, there is no condemnation that should be on you. If you had to do things that seem like they were against God's law or against the Word of God, uh, when you're when you're in that place of, of military, you have to do things that seems like that would be not honorable to do. But when you walk in that place of honor, it's it's not the uh, <clears throat> it's not the decisions that you make in that in that moment. It's about the the uh, the judgment of that rides upon your superiors, not upon you. <clears throat> So in that, when you feel like, well, I did some things, I've, I've had to do some things in the position that I was in in the military, and uh, now, I'm, you know, it kind of drove me away from God because I didn't think God would accept me because of the things I did. Let me tell you something. 
God's mercy and God's grace is something far beyond anything that we can ask or think. In Romans chapter 8, it says, there is nothing, nothing. I don't know if you've looked the word nothing up lately, but it means nothing. And there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that can separate us from the love. And so my deal is if you feel a conviction or a, or a, even a guilt and shame for what you've done in, in, the, in the military or, or that position in the military, ask for forgiveness for it. God will forgive you. God will, will respect your honor towards your superiors if they've made you do things that you don't want to do. Amen? Amen? And so with that, thank you, guys. Thank you for coming back to church. Thank you for recognizing that there is a place of grace and mercy that you can go to, and his love never, never, never fails. Yes. Yeah. I just really quick to add on to that one thing that you say a lot <clears throat> that I really, really like is that you can walk a million steps away from God. You can walk as far as you can walk, but God's always one step away from you. Yeah. And that's because he pursues us. And no matter what you did, no matter what, how unforgivable you think that you may be, there's nothing that God can't forgive because he loves us that much. There, you had said something a long time ago that... Uh, God looks for any and every reason to forgive us. He's not looking for a reason to hold back forgiveness. He's looking for any and any reason at all to forgive us. Yeah. So I'd say for me, uh, or my advice to you, whoever this might be, is to take that one step, turn around and take that one step back and know that your father is there waiting for you with open arms. It's not a arms crossed, like, where have you been? I've been following you this whole time. It's a welcome back. So so that's it. You can't can't earn back what what God has given you. You can't earn back what you think you've messed up in. Mm. You just, it's just, it's just one step. Mm. You can take a million steps away from him, but it's only one step back to him. And that's called repentance. Just turn around. That's good. Rhett, this question is for you. And the question is, what was the hardest lesson learned, either because it hurt your heart or at the time you disagreed? (laughs) Um, I think the, after thinking about this, the hardest lesson that I had to learn, and some of y'all may have heard this story. I know that I told it in a message, but um, in high school, I liked wearing ball caps. Still do. Love ball caps. It's almost as much as a guilty pleasure as shoes, but uh, one one day I was coming inside from a class that we had in a modular building outside, and the, our school was pretty strict on uh, hats, and I walked in, and I had my hat off initially, and I just had put it on the back of my head because I was grabbing something or carrying stuff or whatever, and I walked past this one particular teacher, and he who you had a history yeah. of not good with. Yeah, who I who I did not like very well. I'll just put it that way. Um, me and him didn't get along. Do you want to tell his name so everybody can <laughs> dox him? <laughs> no, uh, we'll we'll keep his name anonymous. I don't want him getting hate mail from my fans. I'm totally joking. I'm joking, guys. I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay, I'm joking. <laughs> That's bad. I'm sorry. Anyways, uh, 
I walked past his classroom. He was standing outside of it. And instead of asking me for my hat or uh, asking me to take it off, he reached up and took it off my head, which I was raised, you don't touch a dude's hat. You don't do that. That's like rule number numero uno, you know? It comes before numero uno. That is like the grand rule with hats. And he reached up, took it off my head, and I was pretty well angry. And I went to his room to uh, borrow a computer later that day, and... I said, hey, when am I going to get my hat back? And I said it just like that. I mean, I was pretty direct. I was mad at him. And he said, you get it back at the end of the year. And I said, bull crap, I do. I get my hat back now at the end of the day. And he said, you, you think so? And I went on and I, we, I mean, I yelled at him in his classroom while he had a class. And I yelled at him first because he yelled at me first, which <laughs> just got to justify that. I didn't raise my voice first, but, um, I walked out of his room and I was mad, madder than I walked in there. And one of my buddies was in that, in the classroom getting a computer with me. He told me, dude, you were totally in the right. Like this dude shouldn't have taken your hat in the first place. He should have just asked you to take it off. So I was like, yeah, I am right. Well, I got out of school early that day and come to find out he called my dad. <laughs> and... The reason I found out about that is I got a call from my dad. <laughs> and, and my dad goes, hey, bud, how are you? And I said, I'm good, Pop, how are you? And he he proceeded to tell me, he goes, I'm, I'm good, but I got a call from one of your teachers. And I immediately I knew what it was for. I said, okay. And he told me, he said, son, you need to go apologize to him. I said, dad, I do not want to. He took my hat. He is in the wrong. I did not do anything to deserve him taking my hat off my head. He disrespected me. I ain't going to apologize. And he said, son, listen to me. What was it? Respect or honor is given. Respect is earned. And I said, all right, dad. All right, I guess. <laughs> so I went back to his room and I apologized to him. And he said, you know what, Rhett? I appreciate you coming to apologize to me. That just shows how much of a, a man you are, how, how much you respect who your elders are, your teachers and stuff like that. I didn't get my hat back, which is lame, but I think, I think that was the hardest lesson because it kind of embarrassed me that my dad had to tell me to go apologize to somebody that I didn't want to apologize to. But the words that dad told me on the phone, uh, that respect, is given or honor is given, but respect, respect is earned. And I, those those words ring in my ears every time that I come in contact with somebody. That I'm like, dude, this guy's a, you know what? <laughs> I, I always think of those words that my dad told me, and it, that's one of the biggest lessons. I didn't agree with it first, but now I'm like, thank God I learned that early. I didn't know you told him off in front of a class. Oh, yeah. He had I would have had you apologize in front of that class. <laughs> he had a class, man. He had a class, and people were looking at me. Because I, I, in high school, I was known as the nice, quiet, respectful kid. And the, the people in this class were like, looking at me like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, he had a class, and I told him off in front of his class. Not a proud moment. I'm not proud of it, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness! Wow. Okay. Well, I'm proud that you did what what I asked you to do. So. Yeah, I am too. 
So Darren, the next question is for you. And the question is, what was the most important lesson you learned from your father, earthly or spiritual, that looking back has made the biggest impact or that you wish you'd listened to a little earlier? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> my dad was, uh, I mean, my dad loved me and my brother, and, and, uh, but he was always, he was always busy growing up. Um, growing up, he, uh, worked all the time. He was established in a business and, and things like that. So having those life moment lessons and things like that, I never really had with my earthly father. <clears throat> I think I had more, um, conversations with him, uh, in the year before he died than, than I had my whole life. And so it's kind of, it's kind of hard to say what, uh, lessons I learned from him. One of the things that I, I did learn was that, uh, um, how do you put it? He said, it takes money to make money. And I don't know if that means anything, <laughs> but that's what I learned from him <clears throat> is if you're going to make money, you got to, you got to invest. And so anyways, that's, it's kind of, kind of lame, uh, really when I think about what it's I learned lame. from my dad, you know, <laughs> But my, my spiritual father, uh, man, I remember him telling us, um, quite a bit that people, people hurt you. You know, when you're in ministry there, you're going to get hurt probably more in ministry than you will in life. And, you know, if you choose ministry to do, uh, for your life, then, then, uh, you're going to, people are going to leave. People are going to, you're going to have an opinion or you're going to have, a way of doctrine that you teach, that you learn, that you know, a theology, so to speak. And not everybody's going to agree with you. Not everybody's going to love you. Not everybody's going to, going to, you know, get into your way of thinking. And uh, people are going to hurt you. People are going to leave you. People are going to reject you. People are going to abandon you. And you know what? He was right. It, it, people do. But the thing about it is, is, is God is good and God continues to, to strengthen when you, when you pursue that and not carry those things with you. So he taught me a lot about forgiveness. And, uh, so with that, that's the best I got. That's good. That's good. Um, two questions that came in this morning and they kind of go together. These are really good. These are kind of directed towards, uh, younger kids and one is, how can we best equip our kids, including littles, to handle the realities of this world as warriors for God, regardless of their age? And then I'll give you part two after you answer that. I think just uh, being an example. Uh, I heard something this week, and I don't remember if it was a podcast or what I heard. But the, the, the gist of what the, what I heard was that, uh, gosh, how'd that go? Being, not caring what people think, but being aware of who's watching you. So we do really care what people think because there is always somebody watching you. Somebody's watching, and it's these littles. It's our. It's not only our kids. It's it's other kids that are watching you do what you do, and so 
I think that that is the best way to influence your children is to not tell them, uh, not do what I do or do what I say, but do what I do. Knowing that our, our life, our actions, what we do on a daily basis translates to them. They're watching and they're picking up on those things. And man, we've got to, we've got to know that there are little eyes watching us. Can you address that? Actually, comes to another question that was sent in about um, navigating not so good influences over our kids uh, from friends or family members when your kids were too young to understand negative influence, and how did you protect or steward your kids during those times and help them until they could make those decisions of influence on their own? Wow, I'm going to have you answer that question. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the thing about it is, is there's some things there. There are some things you can't control. Uh, family members, if if somebody is a family member that is not doing what they're supposed to be doing, um, you know, when you go into a family reunion, go into holidays, things like that, and you're around these families, you're around your family that you don't uh, agree with the way that uh you know somebody's raising their kids or that their kid is doing things that you don't want your that you don't agree with that you don't want your kids to do um you can't withhold that from them you can't withhold that but you look for those teaching moments you look for those moments that you can say look we don't allow this because uh because of who we are because of you know our morals are uh, uh, ethics, things like that, and so I don't, I don't know if I'm really answering that question right. Other than you can't keep them away from people, you've got to let your moral, your family morals, your family ethics, be driven into them to the point to where you correct those things if you see your kid being influenced by them. But you can't really, like with family, you can't t- remove them from that moment um, friends would friends that that our kids had that weren't the greatest influence on their life uh, we could kind of control some of that but I never did I never did set you guys down and say you can't hang out with them because they're this or they're that uh, do you do you have anything to add to that I mean you've got a mic so you can do that if you want <laughs> uh, I just remember we talked about it like when we would see and actually this goes into another question that just came in this morning is um, advice on navigating the toddler years and how to biblically handle tantrums and large emotions. Hit him. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm totally what kidding. I, what I do remember is I remember very specifically number of times seeing kids in grocery stores throwing fits yeah. and Usually um, in the cereal aisle. We <laughs> would stand and watch them, and I would talk to my kids about it while that kid is throwing a fit. Like, yeah. stand right there and watch them and talk to my kids about it and what that looks like and how are they acting. So, yeah, yeah. how would you – how Rhett, and I want to hear from you as well. We want to hear your perspective on this as well. <laughs> so how do you handle toddlers and tantrums and big emotions? Well, um for us, we we believed in spanking. We did. We believed in spanking. You know, I mentioned that last week in our in our uh, in my uh, time last week, and said that you know uh, I loved them. You know, the Bible says if you don't if you don't discipline your kids, you hate them. And I loved my kids a whole lot. 
So, um, but the thing about it was we learned, I learned that uh, before I even had kids, I learned that you don't hit with this, this, this thing that you've been given called a hand. You don't hit with that. You don't spank with that because this is connected to this. It's connected to this. It's connected to this. I don't want my kids to be scared of me. I want my kids to respect me. So we had a thing called a spank stick and it was a, it was a leather dog and bat, what we call a dog and bat, you know, and it, I mean, it, it had a split end on it that made more noise than it did pain. Had some payout to it. <laughs> but it, it did have some payout. And, and so we had that spank stick. We carried that spank stick everywhere we went because the kids respected the stick. It was the <laughs> stick that they were scared of, not the person who works the stick. And, and so we would, we would take that, go to a restaurant, we'd have it in the diaper bag. I mean, not when they were, not when they were infants, you know, we, <laughs> you pooped in your diaper again. No, it, wasn't, it wasn't about that, but it was about when they were toddlers and things like that, because they understood the correction. They understood correction and it came from the spank stick. So we carried the spank. I would carry it around in the back, in the back of my britches. You know, I, I was going right. to say, you'd, you'd wear it like right here going yeah. up your back yeah. and me and Riata would be walking behind you and that spank stick would be lined up right down the middle of your back. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, there's a, there's a reason that a police officer wears his gun on his hip because it, it represents the authority that he does have. And the spank stick was was my authority uh, to say, look, you you mess up, you get into, you start acting stupid, you're going to get stupid. <laughs> and and so, anyways, that that was our uh, deal with with little ones. And if we saw somebody throwing a fit, we'd just stop and look at them and go, you see that? That gets the stick. Don't don't ever don't ever try me. And this day and time, you know, with all the cameras around, I probably would have went to jail at some point. But that, that ain't going to stop me from, from, uh, from disciplining my child. Amen. It ain't going to stop me. And, and I don't beat them. I don't beat The Bible does say beat them. But, but I, I didn't beat them. But I did. I did let them know uh, with a good solid pop, you know, I didn't, I didn't spank them. I don't think I gave you over three swats when I did. And that was a heavy discipline if that I gave was... you three. Yeah, I remember walking in stores with you. And if y'all didn't have the spank stick on you at that point in time, I'd tell dad this all the time. He would turn around and he'd look at us and his face whenever he's serious is, he bugs his eyes out at you and he kind of sucks his teeth in. But he, he'd look at us and go, that's one. And if we ever got to more than three, we knew that it, it was going to be nuclear whenever we got home. And that's one thing that I was, while I'm thinking about it, is that you guys made sure to follow through with your discipline. Like if we, if me and Riata were to do something and you guys said, don't do that or you're going to get a whooping, it wasn't a, whenever we got home, it wasn't a like, oh, I forgot. You guys made sure that you remembered. <laughs> and me and Riata got whooped. If we, if you said that we were getting a whooping, we got a whooping. Yeah. And... I think that that was something that what you guys did in private, you made sure to carry through in, pro- in public. And it wasn't, it didn't matter who was around us. It didn't matter if we were at a dinner table with guests. It didn't matter if we were walking the aisles of King Supers. If we misbehaved, the punishment was swift and it was 
it, it for sure left a left a mark that was, uh, hey, don't do that again. <laughs> well, the thing about it was we didn't spank in public. We didn't, you know, just jerk them out of the cart and wear them out right there in the cereal aisle. We we would. <laughs> We would take them somewhere to the pickup. We would take them to a bathroom. We would take them somewhere and discipline them. Uh, because I don't believe in embarrassing my kids. I, I believe in, you know, if they, if they want to embarrass themselves or try to embarrass me, we're going to go have a private moment and then we're going to come back into, you know, into that venue, uh, public. But the thing about it is I didn't, I didn't want to embarrass my kids, but I did follow through. We, we followed through. We did not lie to them and tell them, you know, you're going to get a spanking, and they didn't get a spanking. No, they got a spanking at some point, and they knew the reason because we would tell them the reason. We would set them down and say, look, I got to, you know, remember that this is going to hurt me more than it hurt you. It really didn't. It, it hurt them a whole lot more. So. That's something uh, specifically addressing toddlers because there was a moment where you taught me it was when Rhett and I were having a moment and you, I was far beyond caring anymore. And you <laughs> said to me, you cannot let him win. Can yeah. you specifically address that with toddlers and toddlers that are strong willed, yeah. uh, good, strong willed kids and helping to direct that? I think James Dobson wrote a book years ago called uh, Disciplining the Strong Willed Child or something like that. And I, I didn't read that. I helped him write it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, anyways, it's it's one of those things that um, when you start a discipline, some kids are gonna some kids are gonna correct it just like that, and some kids are gonna gonna they're gonna keep pushing it. And this particular moment, Lynette had asked Rhett. He's a little guy. He's a little bitty guy. Uh, asked him to put his boots on, and that we were gonna go somewhere or something like that. And put your boots on, and he wouldn't do it. And he just bowed up and wouldn't do it. And so she she started, uh, you know, started going down the line, hey, do it. I'm going to, you're going to get a spanking if you don't do it. That didn't, he still didn't do it. So she started spanking him. And, and she'd spank him, and he would cry, but he wouldn't put his boots on. And she kept going, kept going. And finally she got to a place where she was like frazzled. I think anger went beyond anger and went into meltdown for her and she's crying and she's saying he he won't do it and i said i told her i said i'm not going to step in for you at this point you started this you need to finish it and you cannot let him win he is not going to be the ceo of our house because because he uh is going to hold out i said you gotta you gotta finish it and she she starts spanking him you know it's going back and forth and this i I think it went on for probably 20 minutes or something like that. And finally, she is crying. And he looks at her and says, Mommy, cry? And she says, Yeah, I just want you to put your boots on. And he goes, Okay. But the thing about it is, he put his boots on. She never had to spank him for anything like that again. He never held out uh, again that I know of. Uh, that, uh, that, she she won, and you you cannot. And it's not a competition of who wins. It is it is about staying consistent. You have to be consistent with your kids. If if you want them to be shot far, you've got to stay consistent with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Thank you for that. Rhett, this question is directed to you, and it's looking back, what was the most important lesson your parents taught you that if you could talk to your younger self, you'd say, please listen, I promise this will make life easier. Um, <clears throat> I think the biggest lesson in whenever we were talking about these these questions and going over them a little bit, the biggest one that I could think of and Dad kind of addressed it earlier with what you learned from uh, your spiritual father, uh, Paul Paul Glenn, that people hurt you and people are going to leave and it sucks for sure. Um, but I think I, I think that that would be the biggest thing that I would I would tell myself is people are going to leave, um, or that you guys have told me is that people are going to leave and. When You've people, experienced it. Yeah. Uh, growing up, there's been people, I mean, since I was a little guy, people have come and gone. People have uh, been in our lives for a really long time and uh, then left. And one of the biggest ones that really hurt us is about the time of your diagnosis. We, have, we had two people or two families that were really, really close to us leave. And I remember from that moment, I was, <laughs> yeah, I, whenever I was growing up, I always wanted to be, do what you do. I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to uh, help you with that, do whatever, you know, be involved in church somehow. And whenever that moment happened, I remember thinking, I don't want to have anything to do with church. Like it, it when, when somebody left, when, when somebody left in not necessarily like walking away from church, but having anything to do with church leadership. I was like, I am going to get a job stacking boxes at King Supers or delivering packages for UPS. I could care less about leading a church or even being in a position of leadership at a church. Because all I could think was, is that you invest all this time and this effort into people, and they're just going to get up and leave and take advantage of your kindness of leading them and giving the, giving yourself to them. I was like, nobody's going to jack me around like they've jacked my mom and dad around. And God bless them for sticking with it. But, hey, I'm not. You know, that's where I was at. But this goes back to the influences that you have around you. Whenever I left to do my internship in Texas, I was talking with the uh, guy that I was interning under, Jack Lawson. And he told me, he he said, so do you have any interest in in like being a part of a church, being part of church leadership. And I told him, I said, no, man, I've seen so many people jack my mom and dad around and I don't want to have any part in that. Like I don't have any patience for it. And he told me, he goes, man, you're going to get that anywhere you go. I remember I was like, people do that at UPS too. <laughs> <laughs> And, and from that moment on, I was like, man, he's not wrong. People are going to do that to you. So I think the biggest thing is that it took me, gosh, I was 19, 18, whenever I learned that from Jack. And you guys had been trying to tell me that dang near all my life. And people, people are going to leave. People are going to hurt you. People are going to do stuff that you're like, hey, man. Kind of a tool for doing that, <laughs> but but you're going to get that anywhere you go. And I wish that I would have grabbed onto that what you and mom had to told me for dang near all my life. I wish that you guys would have 
or I, not at you guys, I wish that I would have grabbed onto it a little bit sooner because it probably would have saved me a whole lot of uh, heartache and a whole lot, or not necessarily heartache, but a whole lot of running circles in my mind of why people do that. So That's good. So I'm going to pose a question to you that will be our closing question and then give you time to think on it, and then I'll ask you a question. So there's a few that uh, questions that have come in asking for a go-to verse that you have that when you're feeling hopeless or when you are really in the midst of a challenge, what is a verse for you that is a continual go-to for strength? So I'm going to give that to you to think on uh, while I ask you this question. And Cue the Jeopardy music. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this question is, uh, the first week, Brett, you talked about passing things on, uh, to generations as a legacy. And I'm, uh, want to pose this question both for, uh, the young people that are sitting in here listening that maybe there are things that they are seeing in their family, in their parents or in their generational line that they don't want to carry forward. Um, so how do you, uh, handle breaking generational curses? How do you break generational curses of things you don't want to pass on? Both, can you address both parents in breaking generational curses off your kids and for the young people sitting in here that may say, I don't want to carry that forward from from my family. So how do you do that? And can you please give us some insight on that? And I'm speaking, when I say generational curses, um, specifically, um, some things like maybe anger or poverty, disease, divorce, etc. Yeah, um, I'd say the generational stuff that has been passed on to me, I know that mom has talked about it with fear. Um, but I've also, I, I get irritated really easily. I have a really, 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 really long fuse. But once that fuse hits the uh, end of end of the line, I tend to blow up, and I like when somebody takes your ball cap. Yeah, when somebody takes my ball cap, that'll do it. Um, that's an instant like light the fuse and it blows up. Oh, okay. <laughs> there ain't much of a countdown with it. But I remember um, sitting with mom, and I was telling her something that I was scared about, and she said, "Why are you fearful of that?" I said, I don't know. I just am. And I remember she would sit with me and pray with me in bed, in, in, on the couch, outside. I mean, as soon as I would tell her that I was afraid of something or I was afraid of something happening, she would waste no time in praying with me about that thing. And I think that with that, the, the power of prayer over generational curses is wildly amazing. Um, I think that the, you don't have to model it like this, but if you say, God, I learned this in my, in Sozo, but if you say, God, I give you my fear, what do you give me in return? And taking time and actually being intentional about trying to hear what God is saying, being intentional with what God is trying to tell you and, um, really, honing in on that and opening up your your spirit to that to be sensitive to what he's saying and taking what he says to you and applying it and whenever you come into those places where you may have fear saying i do not have fear god has given me a spirit of courage he's given me a sound mind 
he has taken away my fear and he has replaced it with his blood that he has, uh, he, there is nothing that I need to be afraid of whenever I have the creator of the universe on my side. Whatever God tells you, taking that and really making sure that, that you apply that. And same thing goes with anger for divorce, for, uh, for finances, anything of that sort, going into it and saying, God, I give you the, the generational curse of divorce. I give you the generational curse of anger. I give you the generational curse of bad finances or health or whatever it might be and saying, God, what do you give me in return? Because there needs to be something that fills that void. Um, I've heard it time and time again from mom and dad that there has to be some, once you take something out of something, you have to put something in that something or else it's incomplete. And if you don't put something in that something, something else is going to fill it that you don't want to fill it. So filling that hole with the promises of God, filling that hole with the things that God has said about you, that's what's important. And I think that the biggest thing for generational curses is you're, you're not going to, if you do get rid of it in one shot, man, praise God. But most of the time, it's not going to be gone in just one shot. There's always deep, deep roots that may spring up every now and again. And I think that you, whenever you encounter those things, just being really intentional about pressing into God and saying, you know what, I gave you this once before. God, I'm going to continue to give it to you. What do you keep giving me in return? So I think that's something really big is that you guys have taught me that. People who have led me through Sozo has taught me that. So. Um, the, I think Rhett and I both in our messages over the last two weeks, both used uh, a scripture out of Proverbs and I can't even remember Proverbs 13 or something like that. Something like that. Where that we leave, we leave an inheritance for our children's children. So what we're doing is to the second and the third generation, we're, we're looking at generations when we leave them a legacy. Same thing goes with generational curses. When, when we allow uh, a curse uh, like anger, like uh, poverty, like divorce, things like that, when we allow those things to be seen by our kids and, and not correct those things, then, then that is going to carry on to their kids, to their kids, to their kids, and it's going to keep moving. That's what a generational curse is. And so <clears throat> if, if, uh, if an inheritance is multi-generational, then if we can stop the generational curse and begin to fill that with the blessing, with the generational blessing, it is going to carry on legacy of itself. We don't want to leave a legacy of divorce in our life. We want to leave a legacy of prosperity. We want to leave a legacy of success. And so we have to see in our own lives how to remove those things because it's going to affect multi-generations whether it's blessing or whether it's cursing. And uh, <clears throat> I love what um, God gave Moses in the Ten, Ten Commandments, honor your mother and your father because there's a blessing attached to it. The New Testament says that there's a blessing attached to that, and and that blessing is success for future generations. It's not, you know, he says for a thousand generations. I like the blessing for a thousand generations better than I like the, curse for two or three generations you know what i mean so so there is there is that place of of legacy that we leave to uh to our children's children
for our grandkids. So very simply, if a, a young person or a parent wants to pray, just a very simple prayer, just very simply, I break all generational curses on my father's side as far back as they go, and I break all generational curses on my mother's side as far back as they go. And if there's a specific thing to name that you yeah, particularly yeah. notice that to I name think that's that key. I think that's the key. It's just not about breaking generational curses. It's about breaking the generational curse of whatever that is. Yeah. So before we get to our final question, there's a number of really good questions that have come in during this time and that were submitted before. So how can people, are you guys going to be able to answer those in a place and how can we look forward to that? (laughs) Uh, It's your idea. (laughs) So (laughs) um, dad and I have discussed what we're going to do with the other questions that have been written in. And I think that what we've concluded on is that we would like to uh, do a series of videos on Instagram and on Facebook answering these questions. And at some point, it's been very, very early discussions. Uh, What do they say on Love Island? Early days. (laughs) It's been early days of... uh, Yeah, I do. Me and my wife love it. It's great. (laughs) Uh, It's it's early early, uh, plans of this, but we have actually discussed doing a podcast together and doing um, more of this kind of stuff where it's just just conversation, where we're just taking taking topics and expanding on them, kind of taking a deep dive into certain things and just getting to do stuff together like that. I think that'd be really cool, and it's been a discussion for a little while now. So Yeah, it's been a discussion, but I think we want to keep the momentum of this going. Mm. So we're going to, over the next couple of weeks, I know with Robbie Dawkins coming in next week, it's going to be a, a pretty tight week for us. So if we do get a chance to sit down and answer a question or two this week, we will and put it out on social media as well. I mean, if you don't, if you don't follow us on social media, uh, you need to. I mean, if that's the only thing you follow on social media. <laughs> yeah. uh, so could people this. continue to submit some questions through a direct message in our social media Absolutely. and text messaging the church phone at this point? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Very good. Um, also, do you, I'd say we could leave a box out. Yeah. If we wanted to, it won't be available next week. Well, but you can put it in the offering box for that matter. Yeah, you could drop it in the offering box even. But I mean, if we have a box you, out, you or do that with a hundred dollar bill, so <laughs> it'll guarantee box. your question gets answered <laughs> quicker. <laughs> okay, on that note, let's move on to <laughs> the final. If we'll, let's wrap it up with this. If you guys would share with us your. Uh, go-to scripture that is something that has been a mainstay for you. <laughs> you want to? <laughs> sure. I, I I think that right now in this in this season that I'm in uh, since 2016 and things, um, you know, everything comes back to for me. You know, the, the the when I was diagnosed in 2016, it was because I had a tremor. There was a tremor going on. And you all remember that if you've been here for a while, it had, you know, my, my hands, my feet would shake and things like that. And that's kind of what led them to look at me and give the diagnosis that they gave. But the, the one scripture that I've stood on since then has been out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. And it says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, 
Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And it doesn't have to do with just the tremor that was happening. Um, It doesn't have to do just with the diagnosis for me. I'm looking around and everything that I do, everywhere I go, there is a kingdom that is being given. And that kingdom cannot be shaken. It cannot be. We're not going to. This kingdom is not going to shake. And and so I'm learning some things about shaking that uh, that I'm I'm watching God bring some foundation, some solidifying of the foundation that he's given. So that's that's my that's my uh, go to. Uh, my go to and mom has uh, instilled the scripture in me since I was itty bitty, but Psalms 91 and it really focuses in on the uh the fear aspect of things. But my favorite part, all of Psalms 91 is good. I mean, if you haven't read it, you got to give it a try. It's great. Um, But it's Psalms 91, one through four. And it says, those who live in the shelter of the most high will find rest in the shadow of the almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He, he alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God. And I trust him for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from death from deadly disease he will cover you with his feathers he will shelter you with his wings his faithful promises are your armor and protection and i think that for me this verse it it couldn't be more relevant uh than it is now because we live in such a time that is unsure um we live in a time where people are talking about oh the next variant of corona is out you know or this com- this country's going to war. Have you heard about it? Or uh, whatever it might be, there's always going to be that fear tactic that's always around us. There's always going to be that aspect of like, oh, you never know. Uh, stock up on Campbell's soup, which is true. <laughs> you should always be prepared. But there's never a reason that we should be fearful of what's going to happen next. God tells us to worry about the day that we're in because he holds our forever and our tomorrow and everything else afterwards, you know? That that we we shouldn't worry whenever we're in the hands of our creator. That he puts his wings around us. He commands angels to be around us. And even though that everything else may seem so unsure right now, everything else may seem scary right now, there's no reason to be scared whenever God is the one literally over you, that he's guarding you, that he's putting his wings around you. Amen. So I think that that's something that I stand on constantly. I've stood on it, gosh, I was like maybe six or seven whenever you showed me that verse for the first time. And I've stood on it for how many years? 15, something like that, 15 years. And it's something that I constantly go back to, so... That's good. That's good. Is that it? Oh, it's time. She said it's time. <laughs> so here's here's the deal. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, buddy. <laughs> uh, um, you know, we can't do what we do if we don't have Jesus in our life. Amen? <clears throat> I mean, you raising your kids, the best thing that you can do, the best example you can be is to be a Christian, is to give your life to Jesus, to make sure that your life is in him so that you can have the grace with your kids, so that you can have the mercy with your kids, so that you can have the the mercy with your grandkids. 
that, that he's calling us to so that you can leave a legacy. The best legacy that you can leave a child is that you are a believer, that you are a Christian, that Jesus Christ, you've given your life to him and he, because he's given his life to you. And if you've never said, Jesus, come into my life, if you've never put your, put your life in his hands, my gosh, he opened his arms as wide as he could get them for you to purchase who you are. And so if, if we can do the same thing and give our life to him, you're going to leave the best footprint on this planet because you are a believer, because you get your stuff from him, not from this world. This world would love to just impart all of its trash into you to, to keep the curse going. But Jesus is the one who gives you a legacy. Amen? So if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, if you've never said, God, I give you my life, Jesus, I give you my life, then then you need to do that right now. Before you get out of here today, you need to do that. So with that, I want to pray over you guys, and then we'll we'll move on and get out of here. So Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us. Father, I thank you for this this series that you've um, given to Rhett to and and myself to be able to to uh, help direct the uh, the people that you have placed in this church. God, I pray that if there's anything that that has been tangible for your people to get and to go from here, Father, I pray that uh, that they've been spoken to, that their hearts been changed, their hearts been. Uh, uh, pliable to be able to uh, take the next generation and to release those arrows, to release the arrows of our kids into the future, to bring, to build legacy, to bring legacy, and to to bring prosperity and and goodness into this earth. Father, I thank you. Father, I pray right now. If there's anybody in this room that is fearful of bringing kids into this world, Father, I pray that you would help soften them and help their their fear of wanting to bring kids into this to this world. Father, I thank you that you said be fruitful and multiply. So God, I I I pray that they wouldn't be fearful anymore to bring kids into this world because you have given us the ability to teach them and to 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 give them a legacy of Jesus. We need more believers in this world to change what you have uh, given us to change. I thank you and I praise you today. I glorify you, magnify you, and worship you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Did you all get anything out of this?